Welcome to Grain Talk, a podcast by Grain Farmers of Ontario. I'm Rachel Telford. And I'm Paige Miller. The Grain Talk podcast can be found on Apple iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Please rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite platform. Grain Farmers of Ontario is holding a virtual March Classic, March 22nd and 23rd. We want to thank our sponsors for continuing to support our organization and our event. Thank you, Farm Credit Canada, John Deere Canada, BASF Canada Inc., Ingredient Canada Corporation, and Pioneer. In this episode of Grain Talk, I will speak with Marty Seymour, Director of Industry and Stakeholder Relations at Farm Credit Canada, about Canada Ag Day on February 23rd and how COVID-19 has impacted the agriculture industry over the past year. And I will have a conversation with Brendan Burney, the new Chair of Board of Directors. First, a Grain Talk News update. Brendan Burney, Director for District 1, Essex, has been elected to serve as the Chair of Grain Farmers of Ontario Board of Directors. Bernie takes over the position from Marcus Hurl, Director of District 14, Prescott, Russell, Stormont, Dundas, Glengarry, who served the maximum three-year term as chair. We will talk with Bernie later in the podcast. Grain Farmers of Ontario also welcomes the new Executive Committee of the Board. Along with Bernie, Jeff Harrison, Director of District 12, Durham, Northumberland, Kawartha, Peterborough, Hastings, and Scott Brassall, Director of District 5, Elgin and Norfolk, will serve as the Vice Chairs. Josh Borison, Director of District 9, Perth, is the new executive member. Grain Farmers of Ontario has released a new strategic plan. It outlines our commitment to our core values, our farmer members, our team, our community, our results, our innovation, our honesty, and integrity. Our new vision statement is Thriving Farms, Responsible Production, Trusted Grain Farmers. Our mission is to build, defend, and promote an inclusive, innovative, and sustainable business environment that enables grain farmer members the opportunity to prosper. The complete 2021-2025 Grain Farmers of Ontario Strategic Plan is available on our website, gfo.ca. Due to the COVID-19 global pandemic, the 2021 March Classic will be held online March 22nd and 23rd. The theme for this year's conference is Marching Ahead Together. Grain Farmers of Ontario is excited to try out this new format and we look forward to connecting with our farmer members and industry partners. Registration is now open. Go to gfo.ca slash marchclassic. Those that register early will receive complimentary March Classic attendee kit mailed out to their homes. These kits include sponsored items and swag from Grain Farmers of Ontario, as well as items to help enjoy the two-day virtual show. Plus, everyone that registers before the end of February will have a chance to win a Grain Farmers of Ontario Carhartt jacket. And now, here's my conversation with Marty Seymour. Grain Farmers of Ontario is holding a virtual March Classic, March 22nd and 23rd. We would like to thank our sponsors for continuing to support our organization and our event. Thank you, Bayer, Xenflex, and Tricepta. DeKalb, Greenfield Global, CCAN and Syngenta Canada Inc. This week on the podcast, I'm speaking with Marty Seymour, who is the Director of Industry and Stakeholder Relations at Farm Credit Canada. Thanks so much for joining us today, Marty. Oh, I'm glad to be here. Now, we want to talk specifically uh, to start off with about Canada Ag Day. It's uh, the fifth year for Canada Ag Day. Can you give us a little bit of information about what the day is and, and what is the goal? Yeah, Canada's Ag Day is something that my shop's certainly proud of 
it is it's really the way for the industry to reach out and break the echo chamber one day a year. And so this year on February 23rd, we're calling on anybody connected to agriculture and food to get involved on their social media channel and tell their story. We don't we don't tell people what to say. We just want them to stand up and stand proud as a community and talk about Canadian agriculture. And we we've built the social media themes around forks up for Canadian ag. So what we for those people that don't have an idea what they want to post, we just say, hey, take a picture of you holding some food on a fork and have some fun with it. Post it on your social media and, and uh, use the hashtag CDN Ag Day and uh, get in the conversation. So what's on your fork? Oh, well, that's I have never been asked that before. Actually, kind of caught me off guard. You know, for there's a few things that, uh, you know, I'm a cows and canola guy. So you'll always find beef on my fork to be very uh, direct to your question. But when I think about what's on my fork for Ag Day, as the metaphor might be, is um, we used to produce this really big conference in Ottawa. And, uh, you know, this is our, this would have been our fifth year. And you can you can imagine with COVID, we're not meeting in person. But mm-hmm. um, my shop's been working really hard on a virtual conference. And we're going to be hosting a fireside chat with Dominic Barton, the ambassador to China, who is also the author of, of some of the first work that that's really challenged Canadian agriculture to think bigger and try to reach our growth potential. And so we're going to talk about opportunities in Canadian agriculture and food. And then the subsequent part of that fireside chat we're doing is a deeper conversation from three industry leaders. One, Murad El-Khatib, who's uh, the head of AGT Foods, a real player in the pulse industry. Chantel Donahue from Cargill, and people would know Cargill is in all types of food and food processing. And then um, Daniel Villefort from Von Duel, who's in the vegetable business. So trying to look at the Canadian landscape food production and have a conversation say, hey, you know, COVID's thrown us a curveball as a sector, but we've actually leaned into it pretty well. And we're not done growing. And and frankly, I think agriculture is going to be part of the economic recovery of the nation. And so it just seems fitting to me that this year's at Ag Day, we're, we're going to spend a lot of time in conversation to think about what's the role we can play and how do we lean into our potential as an industry. So farmers can participate in that fireside chat as well as this Forks Up social media campaign as well. Yeah, we, you know, if you... Well, if you're in the industry and you have a social media account, that's the first way I would encourage people to get involved. And then if you want to participate in the the fireside chat is just go to the uh, FCC webpage or uh, and look for events or you can go to the Ag More Than Ever website as well and uh, look there for the uh, virtual fireside chat. Pretty two clicks and you're in and registration's free. The event will be an hour and a half and it's February 23rd. It starts at uh, 11 Eastern time. Now, why is it important for farmers to participate in a campaign like Canada Ag Day and, and the Forks Up for Canadian Ag and, and sort of share their, their story on social media? Well, I think if we learn anything in this last year is that, you know, agriculture and food matters. You know, Canadians care more than ever. We just re- some, released some research we can talk about in a few minutes on, on Canadian attitudes around agriculture. But my personal opinion, if if this is our in your industry, if you're listening to this and you're in it, um, who better to get excited about it than the people in it? And who better to tell the story than the people in it? And we've seen the whole public trust conversation evolve over the last 10 years. And I actually think we're doing a pretty good job as an industry telling our story. But the purpose of Ag Day is to, is to focus that, create a laser initiative on one day to help us break the echo chamber. We've we typically have done a great job of talking amongst ourselves 
um, as an industry. And, and I like the idea that on this day, we can campaign to one master um, day where everybody is having the same conversation about the same issue, and that's public trust in food. Now, do you have any feedback from previous Canada Ag Days um, or last year with the Forks Up campaign in terms of how well that has done in terms of reaching consumers and building trust in food? Well, one of our one of our best measures is really social media engagement. And, uh, you know, normally I'd be in Ottawa on, on Ag Day and I would say by 9 a.m. Ottawa time that the CDN Ag Day hashtag would be trending number one in this country. And, and so I like Twitter as a good barometer of first thing in the morning, it's the conversation. And we've had some big wins as an industry too. You know, last year, CBC Toronto was covering Ag Day on their morning show. And, and uh, this year we have a whole bunch of morning show activity happening across the country. We've partnered with some dietitians uh, to make that possible. And so you can see the tent just keeps getting bigger and bigger. And so we measure it softly through the kinds of content and the people at the table you know mcdonald's will be active on that day we'll see some other food companies get involved uh, we see some sports athletes get involved like these are people that aren't necessarily part of the egg production family but certainly have an ambition or an interest in canadian food and, and so if you ask me if we were measuring that as a as an outcome of success making the tent bigger i think it's a win how do you drive engagement given that there are so many different days celebrating different things all throughout the year? How do you draw attention specifically to Canadian Ag Day? Yeah, I would say, you know, one of our tactics at the Ag More Than Ever business unit here within FCC is to um, is to reach out to industry groups like yourselves, like Grain Farmers of Ontario. You know, we've the cattlemen are planning um, a screening on the evening of February 23rd for their Guardians of the Grassland movie. And they'll have a Coulter wall if, you know, if anybody's into music, do a little music thing and try to make it an evening event out of it. But we we think that the best way is to start with the industry first. So that could be egg farmers, dairy farmers, um, cattlemen, the grain growers, pick your groups and use their built-in networks. You know, this this thing is more than just about one group under egg more than ever, but it's the idea that each farm association or farm group or the OFA um, that they get involved. And that's been how we that's how we've scaled this thing. So you know, anybody can create a day and you kind of allude to it. There's pizza day and there's love your dog day and you go through <laughs> the list. But, you know, at its core, if we can have industry championing this, you know, I would say, you know, in full disclosure, our challenge is to get food retail to champion this or a consumer group that maybe doesn't have a vested interest in it, but just believes in Canadian food to get those groups. And, you know, by year five, I mean, you have places like the CN Tower getting involved in Ag Day. That's a pretty non-agriculture entity saying, you know, agriculture and food is cool. And this year, because COVID's drawn so much attention to the food system, you know, I don't know how we won't see more people that are non-ag getting involved because it's such a moment of gratitude for all the goodness that we've done to keep store shelves full. Have your plans for Canada Ag Day changed given COVID? Like there's obviously not the same sort of in-person event opportunities. So just strictly online, how, how do you think that's going to go? Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I'm a little bit sad that we're not able to do the in-person events because one of the fun things on the planning side of Ag Day was watching some local farm input dealers say, hey, we're going to have free coffee for our farmer friends and show some, you know, kind of some customer outreach or some customer things. I, I always liked those, you know, some bigger events like our conference in Ottawa was 
was frankly the best networking event in Canadian agriculture. It was the only event that brought all sectors together under one roof and had great MP engagement and outreach, which was also part of, of why the Ottawa conference was so popular. And, and so, so I'm a little bit sad by that, but, you know, we're seeing little things pop up like, like the cattlemen saying, Hey, we can get creative and have an evening web-based event, you know, listen to some good music, watch a cool movie and, and improvise. I mean, we've, we're almost coming on a year since we've been working from home and everyone's figured out a way to still stay relevant and, and do these things. But, you know, deep down, I just love the idea that in every small town across this country, there's some some small celebration in people's own way. Now they sure they'll just be inside people's own homes and hopefully they'll they'll share that with everybody online. Hopefully making Canadian meals. <laughs> and and I think that's the magic of it. At least you can you can get your voice out there as your one your your one social channel. You can you can get your voice out there and you know, on the lighter side, at least if you're at home, you have your own private washroom and your your own private mm-hmm. buffet as, as you want to manage it. So maybe there's some good in it a different way, too. Mm-hmm. And maybe people will take the opportunity to experiment with some Canadian food. Now, you alluded earlier to a new study that uh, FCC has just released the results of that found Canadians are more likely to look for Canadian food in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic, perhaps trying out some new recipes at home or, or, you know, cooking more at home because you don't have that many options for going out. Um, what can you tell us about that survey and, and some more of those results? Yeah, I'll maybe kind of give you some of the high points in terms of the survey outcomes for those people listening here is, you know, six in 10 uh, Canadians are more likely to buy Canadian. And half of the people shopping are are more likely to look for Canadian grown products. And I, I think that's an, a great evolution of this idea that we would take pride in our food as, as Canadians and really demonstrating it through the survey outcome that, you know, if six in 10 people are more likely to buy a Canadian product, it speaks really a lot about some of the buy local initiatives we've seen since COVID's come along and this idea of supporting our local community. Um, I think the other one that's kind of cool is 50% of people are more likely to show an interest about how their food is grown. If, you know, if those of you that have been participating in the public trust conversation for the last 10 years, that's been the whole goal is to get people to ask questions and be curious about how their food is grown. That's how you can have an honest conversation about the food system and, and drive to a system that all Canadians are proud of. And, uh, and I think the last one that kind of stuck out in our survey outcome was that eight in 10 people think that the industry responded really well to COVID. There's, there's certainly some, you know, some worry in the food system as we came through the last year. If you look at at processing, say on animal proteins, for example, when we see COVID outbreaks and some and some pressure on the system to make sure that the shelves are full. Uh, in general, I think the industry did really well, considering in those early days we we didn't really know what what the next day was going to bring in terms of COVID management. And I go all the way back to. April, May last year, we were looking for N95 masks as an industry to say, hey, we've got to, we've got to mask up and find a way to have these high quality masks in front of everybody. And today we've come down to different protocols to help manage COVID in terms of processing plants, farm workers, all of this stuff. So industry come a long ways. And I think the survey shows that consumers really appreciate it. So why do you think that trust in food is so important for consumers? And, and why is it even more of a concern, it seems, nowadays than it ever used to be? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. You know, there's, you know the data still says that 
consumers are worried about the rising cost of food is kind of one of the number one things on their mind. But as you go down the hierarchy of things that are important to people is just having confidence and trust that the food they're eating is safe for their families. And, and you know, I don't know, I don't know if it's increased more over the last 10 years or if it's stayed the same. I, there's days where I feel like as an industry, we're winning, where we're like making a difference and people like the survey outcome here saying people are proud of the Canadian food system. Um, and then there's other days where I'm still watching the battle over GMOs or the battle over antibiotics in, in food and sort of the, the conversation about where does science fit in and where does, where doesn't it in the food system. And if there's been a, you know, a byproduct of it all is a heightened awareness of the industry in terms of public trust does matter. And the long-term outcomes of, of not having trust in the food system is probably more regulations, more rules and more governance of how we do things. So I do think the industry is starting to embrace this as a real risk that we need to manage. Um, you know, probably a little bit of maybe a maybe a lack of clarity of how to do that. I'm I'm not even sure I can sit here on your call and say I've got it figured out how we have trust in the food system. But you know, the data still says that you know eight out of ten people think the industry responded really well in the last year under all of the headwinds we have, and that's a measure of trust, in my opinion. I think that lends to Canada's Ag Day and how with farmers participating, that that can increase trust in food and make a connection between the consumer and the farmer because nowadays a lot of people do not have that connection and they're getting their information about the food system from people who aren't actively working in it, right? They're more likely to trust a a blogger or some other social media influencer than they are to actually, you know, connect with a farmer. As you've mentioned, you know, our job in the industry that we we are struggling with is to expand beyond our own circle. Yeah, you know, you raise a good point is this is the farmer's opportunity to, to sort of be heard, or I guess it comes back to my theory is that if we all do it on one day, maybe we can break away from the noise that's in people's social channel and, uh, and do it that way. And I mean, you don't have to get fancy. If you're sitting at home, going, well, I don't know what to do is uh, take a picture of some food on your fork, having dinner with your family and, and show that you're, you're a regular consumer like everybody else. Or if you milk cows, go and shoot a picture out in the heifer pen and show people that side of your business. But just, you know, be open to what you're doing as a farmer and, and be proud of it. Um, people like that and, and the authenticity of it. And it's why we haven't been too prescriptive to tell people what to do on Ag Day. Because the, the truth is, is we all do things a little bit different in this industry. And so telling your version of that, that's the best way to pull consumers in. In your role with FCC, I imagine that you get a sense of the struggles and the successes across all sectors. You've mentioned, obviously, the cattlemen and, and some other different uh, commodity groups as well that, that you've connected with. But what have you seen within the food system over the past year as a result of COVID-19 that, you know, speaks to either those struggles or successes that um, you think that we've managed to handle? Well, I think, you know, if I if I looked at where the struggle has been. I mean, there's no doubt the conversations around um, using foreign workers to help us pick our produce. In Southern Ontario, that's a that's obviously a big part of the business is, you know, how do we seed and harvest the, the food that we're growing? Like, I don't know, I, I saw a huge rally of the industry come together to say, we have a real and fundamental problem. Well, how do we get crops seeded and harvested? And we're gonna work with government to find ways to get 
foreign workers in the country with all the new pro protocols around COVID. I think we did that pretty well last year. Um, you know, I think we've seen kind of some, I don't think anybody really predicted the run up in commodities that we saw. And so if I look at, you know, of course I'm a Western Canadian guy and I'm a little less familiar about how it played out in Ontario, but the narrative is quite similar is the way we managed logistics through COVID was outstanding. And if I think about the, the rail line getting our grain moved out west, if I think about truckers staying on the road in spite of some of the north-south travel restrictions, et cetera, we did a really good job of actually getting food to where it needed to go. Um, those are some good news stories. Um, you know, where are we lagging? I, I'm still not convinced that we, we have a true integration of needs or outcomes from in the entire food supply system. And I'm not, not naive that we're ever gonna get there, but um, I think a grocer's need is quite divergent from at the farm gate level where I'm growing soy or, or corn. It doesn't mean that they can't have a shared interest and that shared interest might be traceability. It's certainly quality, um, but you know, the, the grain growers customer might be the, the, the grain handler or the processor and then the customer at the retail is, uh, if you're in a Loblaws, that's the actual consumer. And so there's different pressures and, and headwinds in there. But if I looked in general, if we could do more, that's where I think we could resource it more is to help pull big food to the table and uh, get them more interested in what we do in our industry, which is all the way back to why Ag Day matters more than ever. Do you think that COVID-19 will have a long-term uh, impacts or changes to our industry? Yeah, I do. I, I, you know, for those people that follow me, you know, if you listen to our FCC Knowledge podcast and hear some of the interviews I have with farmers or, or hear some of the public speaking that I, I, I do, you'll find that I'm just naturally optimistic. And so if I look at what, what I saw happen in COVID digitization and how the supply chain, I'll just maybe use it in real terms. And so we started to do pick up and drop off at um, on farm equipment parts uh, remotely. All of a sudden I called in my dealer and I showed up in the evening and I got my parts out of a mailbox and uh, we started to do kind of a touchless pickup and delivery. In some ways, the industry, you know, the equipment industry wanted to do that for years, but but it took COVID as the catalyst to get that done. But the one that I really saw was the digitization of grain contracts and e-signatures and electronic fund transfers to move the money back and forth. And some of the big line companies have told me, they said, we haven't seen this much adoption of, of the electronic format to doing these contracts. And, and it took COVID as a catalyst to say, hey, you can't come in and sign in person. You're going to have to do it at home. And so, so I like that in terms of the progress that it's done. And, you know, other people have heard me say before that, we estimate only 50% of farm records are actually digitized. And so if COVID can increase the number of people keeping digital records long-term, that allows the industry to use information to make decisions and manage their data. And so, I don't know, that's where I saw the good come out of COVID as part of a legacy impact on agriculture. Has it impacted the way that FCC does business? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, like everybody, we, were quite disrupted and all of a sudden when you know the local health regulation said work from home um, we had to find ways to accelerate how we were digitizing our user experience so we've been investing like crazy in in the 
you know, digital banking side of what we do so that you could access your farm records and um, your loan balances online. Um, and also like, just like the grain companies, getting our e-signature part of our experience, um, you know, where customers could do that seamlessly for a new technology to not be stressed about it. But the cool one I like is we've been all in on our ag expert software platform, which we went to a cloud-based model about 18 months ago and right back to, if this system allows farmers to digitize their accounting records, to digitize how they, uh, when they seeded their crop, which seed varieties and keep good records. Um, I don't know, I, I like that stuff. I think it's, it's advancing the industry. So we've been, we're, we certainly don't have it all figured out. We're like everybody, we're trying to keep evolving at the pace of change. Um, but I do like the progress we've made. And obviously embracing uh, webinars for your events as well. Oh, yeah. The whole um, conference trade show circuit, you know, we've been, uh, of course, we haven't been actively per participating in, in any of the, the on the ground trade shows this last year. Um, but conference wise, you know, a few weeks ago, we FCC, some of you will remember the FCC forums and they would have been in London and different markets in Southern Ontario. Well, we, we digitized those a few weeks ago and um, I was the MC at the forum. And so I was probably more engaged than I would have been in the past when we met in person. But our in, our amount of views that we had for people to listen to Clara Hughes and Chris Hatfield on, you know, some motivational speaking around mental health and just aspirational, something to get us excited in the cold days of winter. Um, we reached thousands of people that we probably couldn't have done if we, we did it in person. I still think agriculture wants in-person events and I think the networking and the community that we get as an industry will come back I believe that there's a space for that mm -hmm. but you're going to see hybrid models everywhere for those of us that do the speaker circuit you're going to see more speakers want to do video versions of that um, at conferences and it, it frankly just allows the scalability for a person like Chris Hatfield that's under big demand if he can cover three events in a week in the old days he could cover one maybe two by traveling around by airplane. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. I think that it's definitely going to be, I guess, opening up some of these events to more people because maybe people for schedules, they can't travel off the farm as easily to get to some of these events. And if there is that online opportunity, more people, I think, over the past year have been able to engage in some of those events um, or meetings that they might not otherwise have been able to do in the past. Um, I've been pretty, um, I've been pretty outspoken on this one. I don't know if my opinion is always most popular but I think um, I think we're missing a one fundamental thing of the gathering in person and I do lots of sort of uh, the, the ag policy kind of the conference styles where we're really trying to advance a sector in terms of regulatory or, or just what the headwinds are and most of the best conversations happen you know they happen at the at the buffet table or the coffee break where mm -hmm. where you have an idea or a thought and then you need to bounce that off of somebody to it's just validate whether you're crazy or not. And um, this new way of, of webinaring doesn't allow that sort of informal networking where ideas get built on and made stronger and, and get driven over the finish line. And so I see that as just this human DNA we have of how we communicate as people that is missing from the webinar space. And, and then anybody that's in business development, I have, I have a lot of empathy for them trying to find new customers or new people to talk to about your technology or your product when it's super hard to network in this work from home environment that most of us are into so for that for that reason i'm bullish on the idea that we're going to come back in person 
but you're going to see lots of corporate brands and you know all of our peers in the industry that I've talked to um, are going to play it uber safe. Everyone's going to follow local health guidelines, but no international corporate brand is going to be up for sending their people through airports until until we've identified that it's safe to do so. Um, so you might see localized things, you know, local farm events happening, but for the really big stuff, you you'll see the big brands just play it safe. Before we wrap up our conversation today, you did mention a little earlier about your FCC Knowledge podcast, uh, Talking Farm and Food. Um, I understand it's a monthly podcast that you host. Um, can you give us a sense of why you started that podcast and you know who you're hoping to reach with it and, and sort of what, what the goal of that podcast is? Oh, that's I'm happy to do that. Thank you for the selfless promotion here. Um, you know, we... so. For those who don't know a lot about FCC, you know, we have the lending side of our business, which which people would understand. And it's a pretty easy head, easy thing to get your head around. But we also are a federal crown with a mandate to help advance the business of agriculture. And so we resource agriculture knowledge. We resource women entrepreneurs and indigenous agriculture and, and anything that that has a long term benefit to Canadian agriculture. And um the podcast was born out of the idea that why don't we just talk to regular farmers from all across the country about what they do and what they've done to be successful. And uh, the podcast, we just launched it in the fall and like like all podcasts, continuing to grow it. But I've had so much fun. We have an English version that I'm the host of and we have a French version as well for those that uh, are in, in a part of Canada that wants to speak French. Um, but we have, we have some laughs along the way, but you know, I had a couple podcasts on transition that uh, we looked at a junior partner who, you know, what's it like to be 35 trying to get to take over the farm. And then we had a version from a senior partner, a different farm. And what's it like to have a legacy for your kids and then some life skills things. And uh, we've got a podcast we launched uh, with Emma Butler from Ontario on farm based marketing of, of meat, you know, running a local um, retail store. And so it's quite diverse, but. For me, I just found so much joy in talking to other farmers about what they do. And uh, so, yeah, give us a listen. You can find us at FCC Knowledge. Uh, just look that up and how you how you access your podcasts and uh, have a listen, see what you like. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us on our podcast today. Uh, it was great to have that conversation with you about Canada's Ag Day and just about how COVID-19 in general has impacted our industry. Thank you so much for your time. All right. Thanks for the opportunity, Rachel. Green Farmers of Ontario is holding a virtual March Classic, March 22nd and 23rd. We want to thank all of our sponsors for continuing to support our organization and our event. Thank you AgriCorps, Spirits Canada, University of Guelph OAC Dean's Office and Department of Plant Agriculture, MNP, Pride Seeds and Roberts Farm Equipment, New Holland. Joining me today on the podcast is Brendan Burney, the new chair of Grain Farmers of Ontario. Welcome, Brendan. Hi, thank you very much. So this is kind of a, a new thing for you. Uh, every four weeks, we'll be touching base on uh, what's going on at Grain Farmers of Ontario for the Grain Talk podcast. So that's kind of exciting. Yeah. Um, but what else? Yeah. <laughs> so what else is pretty exciting is you're a new chair. So congratulations on the, the new role. But you're kind of swamped with a lot of media requests and everything happening. Yeah, it's it's been a whirlwind and they kind of come in waves. It's like you have a little bit of free time and then it fills up pretty quickly. Uh, 
but yeah, I'm very happy to to have been elected by by the board of directors and for them to put their trust in me to, to do the work is uh, is something I'm very uh, appreciative of. Do you mind giving just a little bit of a background about yourself uh, for our listeners today? No, not at all. Um, I'm down here in District 1, which is uh, Essex area. So I live just outside of the town of Essex. Uh, my, my father and family and I farm uh, about 1,100 acres down here. It's corn, soybeans, and wheat. Uh, live on the, the farm with my wife. Uh, and I've got two high school kids that are at home. Uh, they, they did an in-session this morning and now we're at home learning right now. Um, so we're balancing all that out. Uh, but yeah, and I've been involved as a, a delegate since the, the inception of GFO and the last six years have been a director after uh, our district one director, Leo Gilbo had retired and the last few as an executive. And here we are uh, in the, the new chair position. Wow. So quite busy with a uh, farm chair and balancing kids and, and a home as well. So it's pretty impressive. Um, so what are your what are you looking forward to most about the chair role? I think in, in each step, as I kind of went from a delegate to a director, then director to executive, executive to chair, I, I've been happy along the way with just all the different connections and, and people you meet and, and have the, the experiences around it and the discussions. So I think that's the part that eventually once we go back to maybe a, a bit of normalcy at some point that kind of be out and about and meeting people. But even virtually, I've found that I've had a lot of good connections here. So I think that's the one that, that comes to mind off the bat is just doing that and, and getting involved and, and helping our membership. That that sounds fantastic. And I think, you know, once things do kind of get back to normal, it'll definitely um make things a little bit easier to make those connections as well. And, and like you said, the virtual aspect is definitely helpful too. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's just something about meeting people at shows or events or going to events that I think, you know, is a little bit special or more special, I guess. Well, and there's all those random connections too, right? Like you, you just sit at a table at an event, you're not quite sure who you're sitting with. And by the end of it, you've, you've got a, a new kind of friend or somebody that, you'll uh, you'll learn from so those pieces are missing right now for sure so along with becoming a new chair there's a new executive committee do you want to kind of touch a little bit on the executive committee and who they are and how you're planning on working with them the the executive committee we we've got uh for those that don't know i have a chair two vice chairs and an executive member and in this case we we kind of cover a a wide sweep of the province because the vice chair, uh, one of them is uh, Jeff Harrison, and Jeff would be up in District 12. Uh, he's been on the executive for a couple of years myself, so we found that we've always worked well together, so was glad to see him continue in that role. Uh, Scott Purcell is in District 5, and, and Scott's been on the board probably the longest of the, the four of us on the executive by a couple of years, maybe. Uh, so he's got some good experience. Uh, he's he's currently in the out program, which I had just finished up. So he's a, a busy guy as well, but has some some good opinions and perspectives to bring. And then Josh Borson uh, of District 9 is our executive member. So Josh is newer to the board only over the last uh, couple of years, but very, very smart and engaged in, in the farm community. And I think will be a, a true asset to to the the board of directors and the executive here and i guess i'd be remiss uh, if i didn't say thank you to marcus uh, for the work that he did on our behalf and he was able to to work with this executive and 
I think that uh, we have a, a really good team together here as well now and, and going forward, we'll be able to get, get a lot done. Um, just one more question, Brendan. Is there something that you would have liked me to ask you that I didn't get to ask you? There's, there's always the questions around maybe why I tend to be uh, pretty vocal in terms of the mental health sphere. And I've brought a lot of that with me wherever I've went. And at the same time, I, I don't want that to be the, the only thing that, that people would remember. But I, I've been in there with, with people that, uh, that needed help and, and were, uh, I got kind of thrust in the middle of it at, at certain times. And I always want to make sure that people know that if they're having a tough time, that, that they can find ways through it. And there's people around that, that will, uh, will care and reach out and help. So, so that's been one of the, the ones along the way here. And uh, I'm interested in just continuing that conversation in the hopes that we can better it for, for not only our membership, but, but for the public at large, because it's such a huge issue. And especially with the uh, isolation today uh, during COVID times, uh, there's a lot of stuff like that, that that I think I'd be remiss if I didn't at least touch on. What other areas of focus do you have as a chair or just as a director, I guess? I think it, it works out well in this case for the, the chair position because we just did our strategic plan and it was just kind of newly finalized. So I think for myself, it, it gives us a, a good spot to start. I think priority wise is just you always want to be that voice for the, the farmers you represent, and make sure that their voices are heard. Um, and that's all voices because we did add a, an inclusivity and diversity piece that that I'm, I'm always interested in, in having those conversations and listening to people's experiences and trying to make them better or, or making sure that we can cover things off that way. So I think it's, it's more or less one of those, you, you pick up the, the role and you put your, your own maybe little spin on it and you just kind of go to work for the membership and whatever issues maybe pop up, you're, you're fluid enough that you can move over and work on them and then uh, come back to some of those staple priorities and whether it's open markets or less red tape or things like that so kind of covering off the the whole farmer aspect i guess that sounds that's that's a whole lot of priorities and and i think it's a, <laughs> i think it's good that you're you're able to kind of say like oh yeah i definitely need to focus on this but i'm willing to jump when needed so i think that's good i think at the end of the day it's it's the overall aspect of the farmer right you want the the, the economics to be good. You want them to have a, an environment they feel they can they can really be valued and work well in and, and isn't uh, restrictive. And then on the other end, you want to make sure that kind of that mental and physical health part is there because you want the, the overall the overall farmer to, to be better off because you came into to the role. Thank you so much for your time today um, and speaking with me for the podcast. Uh, in the next couple of weeks, we'll be having more of a, I guess, a more in-depth conversation with you for one of our, our main Green Talk podcasts. Um, so we look forward to that. Um, so yeah, thanks, Brendan, for joining us. No problem at all. Anytime. Thank you for listening to our Green Talk podcast. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. For more ways to connect with us, including the latest webinar, market report, and our e-newsletter, go to gfo.ca slash green talk. A special thank you to our guests this week, Marty Seymour and Brendan Burney.
If you like what you've heard today, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. And remember, five-star reviews help us grow our audience.